0: the Holy Gospel according to Mark, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern. "'asleep on the cushion. "'And they woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' "'He woke up and rebuked the wind "'and said to the sea, "'Peace, be still.' "'Then the wind ceased, "'and there was a dead calm. "'He said to them, "'Why are you afraid? "'Have you still no faith?' And they were filled with great awe, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, o Christ. Sisters and brothers, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. <coughs> As many of you know, my mother died recently. It was uh, unexpected, although not shockingly so, given the fact that my mother had reached the age she had, which was 94 years plus one day. We were uh, blessed by the fact that though things happened quickly, they didn't happen instantly. And so my siblings and I were all able to get home, and we spent her 94th birthday with her. She was uh, weak by then and sleeping much and struggling some and non-responsive quite a bit. Nevertheless, she was able in one way or another to let every family member who was there or who communicated with her other means, she let them all in some way know that she heard what they said and was aware of that. We also gathered around her bed and read scripture passages, especially the Psalms, because... At the Dykster family dinner table, we Dykstras were raised on garden (coughs) vegetables, meat when we could afford it, and the Psalms. So we read Psalms to my mother. Then my sister Laura said, Mom, do you want us all to sing to you? My mother shook her head no. (laughs) (laughs) Then my sister Laura said, Mom, do you want Raj to sing to you? I'm Raj at home, by the way. It doesn't need to catch on. <laughs> she nodded yes. It's a long story. We laughed long. Then I sang to my mom on her birthday, uh, favorite hymn after favorite hymn. All those hymns are prayers. And so we sang and prayed, uh, I am weak, I am tired, I am warm, take my hand. Precious Lord, lead me home. I didn't just get right through that, I'll tell you. But uh, I will ever be grateful that I had the opportunity to do that. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, my mother finally fell into a deep and peaceful sleep. My brothers and I went to our hotel room while our sisters stayed for the night we just had agreed. We were family. If one of us is there, we're all there and we need rest. Next morning, uh, we got back to her room. It was a Sunday morning, and I should have been near preaching. But I have colleagues for whom I will ever be grateful who firmly, gently reminded me that the church could be the church without me. And then I was where I needed to be, so Pam preached her, my version of her sermon, which took her half as long as it would have taken me. <laughs> which troubles me only a little bit. <laughs> And I and my siblings, as you were gathering for worship that morning two weeks ago, we were with my still deeply peacefully sleeping mom. That was her all night. And when I got there, I said, I love you, Mama. And a few minutes later this was so peaceful I didn't even know what had happened. I just looked over and I said, I don't think she's breathing anymore. I spoke in a sermon a few weeks ago about how seriously we Dijkstras took the Sabbath, worship and rest. When I was growing up, which made it seem just perfect to me that it was on a Sabbath day. It was on a Sunday morning, as you were gathering for worship, that my mom went home to her eternal rest. I want you to know that Kathy and Melissa and I are very grateful for the uh, much kindness and support you've extended. We have some grieving to do for sure, but uh, you know what, this is not the worst grief anyone has ever had to grieve. Uh, We did have her for 94 years. And she went very peacefully, and the timing was just incredibly good. In fact, in some ways also, uh, my mom had been looking forward to that day for 35 years, which was when my father passed. Now, grieving Dad's death was harder, not because we loved him more, but because, well, among other things, he didn't. Um, we didn't give thanks for the beauty of the timing then. We felt very robbed and cheated. That his death had come entirely too soon, three months before my daughter was born, and that it was accompanied by entirely too much suffering. My mother's death was an occasion to the light in the faith. My father's death, on the other hand, though eventually we got there, was actually, first of all, the first time in my life I found myself really wrestling with the faith struggling with the faith uh, including struggling and wrestling with the age old question which now at that moment in my life was not now an intellectual seminary question but it was a very deeply personal question and that's the age old question if God is God and if God is love and if God is powerful which is to say if God is God for crying out loud then why do bad things, suffering things, sometimes horribly terrible things, happen to good and faithful people who love God. A few months later, still struggling on the faith front, frankly, I started my last year of seminary in another beautiful act of timing. One of my favorite and most compassionate professors, uh, Dan Simonson was teaching an elective class that fall on the Bible's book of Job. From which came our first reading today. The Book of Job is the story of a man named Job, whom some consider to be a literal historical person and therefore read Job as, as a literal, literal historical story. Others consider Job to be the main character in kind of an extended parable kind of story, and we can discuss that sometime if you want to. As far as I'm concerned, just remember that the deepest truth of the story in either case is found in the truths the story conveys, including the true and historical facts that you can read in every history book and frankly in every newspaper,
1: that we live in a world which may well
0: be the handiwork of God, a good and loving and almighty God, but that doesn't change the fact that sometimes God-awful things happen, including happening to believers who love God. Job says the book right from the beginning, Job, like my father, is a good man, A faithful man, a God-loving and God-serving man, but nevertheless, in the first part of the book, he is on the receiving end of more life-shaking and faith-challenging, awful things than anyone ever has had happen to them, including my dad. And after it all happens, he goes out to the ashes of last night's old fire, and he rips his clothes, and he pours ashes on himself, And he sits in those ashes in silence. His church friends come to visit him. And it says that they then ripped their clothes and dumped ashes on their head and sat for seven whole days with him silently. These are good friends and that is good care. After seven days of that, Job opens his mouth. The first thing he does is curse the day he was born. The second thing he does is raise the age-old question, which is not now an intellectual question, but deeply personal for him. Why, if God is good, and if God is love, and if God is powerful, which is to say, if God is God, for crying out loud, then why... Do bad things happen, suffering things, horribly terrible things, to good and faithful people, including those who love God deeply. His friends then make the mistake of, that is too often made by believers, attempting to counsel someone and comfort someone who is hurting and asking hard questions, they open their mouths, and one at a time, using Bible verses thrown in to show that they really know what they're talking about, they proceed to answer Job's question, to tell Job exactly why these bad things are happening to him. Cindy, I know oftentimes the best thing you do is keep your mouth shut, isn't it? Huh? <laughs> I mean, and me too, when you're sitting in someone's suffering and they raise painful questions, you want to take that pain away, but trying to answer these questions that are that as big as they are isn't gonna do it. And that's what happened here, and it goes downhill from there. As basically what they tell him is that all things happen because they are God's will. And God is good, and God is just, and therefore everything that happens is good and and just, which means that the things that have happened to you, Job, must have happened because you, Job, somewhere along the line, did something not good to deserve it. Job says, I did not. They say, what, now you're perfect? He says, no, I'm not. But I'm not less perfect than you. And I'm the one whose children have all died. And I'm the one who is so sick and in pain that I wish I could die. And no, I'm not perfect, but neither are you. So why did this all happen to me and my loved ones and not you and your loved ones? I want someone to explain that to me, he says, without all the judgmental garbage and pious platitudes that you're dumping on me. Indeed, he says, I want God. To come and explain to you what you, to me, what you hypocritical blowhards obviously can't. I want God to come and explain to me why He's not the one who's done something wrong in letting this happen. His friends say, Job, listen to yourself. You're making our case here. You're sinning right here and now by acting like you personally are God and that you are the judge of God. Jehovah, repent of your sins and acknowledge that what has happened to you is right. It is the good and righteous will of our good and gracious God. A friend of ours, a son who's his name was Sam, was diagnosed with cancer just a few weeks after getting married, and a year later he died, and he was 28. I remember his mom, Chris, telling me about the church friend who came to visit her to explain to her, with Bible verses, to prove her point, that the reason Sam died is because that was the will of God. Chris remembers getting through that time one day at a time only by trusting that her Christian friend's answer wasn't the answer. When it comes to the question of why what happened to her son happened to her son, the only answer she was absolutely sure of is that it wasn't the will of the God that she worships. The book of Job agrees For at the beginning of the book, it did and does clearly and explicitly say that the tragedies that befell Job were not the will of God, but rather the will of Satan, the will of exactly not God. Where it gets complicated though, and difficultly so, for Chris and for any of us who've ever tried to make sense of tragic themes that seem tragically senseless is that the beginning of the book of Job also clearly says that God is God and that though the evil that befell Job wasn't the will of God, it was darn it allowed by God which is true, I imagine, and helpful, I suppose, but it's not unambiguously helpful, right? Because it just circles back to another question that you want the answer to, which is the question, okay, fine, God doesn't will bad things, but then why on earth does God, being God and being good, allow bad things? At the end of the book of Job, in our first reading for today, Job gets what he asked for. God comes to him and talks to him, speaking out of a whirlwind, which I think sounds a little intimidating. And God, in our text for this morning, says from the wind, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me, Revised Roger Translation, Job, put on your big boy pants. You have questions you want me to answer? Well, first I have questions I want you to answer. After which God then goes on to say, and this goes on for four whole chapters. We just heard the very beginning of it. God goes on to say, chapter, 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 verse, verse, verse after verse of things like this. Job, look at the stars in the sky. Tell me how I hung them there. Look at the earth. Tell me how I created it. Look at all the creatures that on earth do dwell Tell me how I created them. To which after four chapters, Job says, I can't answer your questions. To which God says, then I can't answer yours. Which on one hand almost sounds to me like God being kind of a condescending smart aleck. Except the Job doesn't hear it that way. Job hears what God is really telling him, which is that when it comes to the final answer to the question of why in a good God's world bad things happen to good people even when they love God, you have to be God to understand the ultimate answer to the question. And after God came and said that, Job stood up And cleaned up and dressed up and repented, turned around, saying essentially, now I can go on with life. Not because I know the answer, but because I know what isn't the answer. And because God came to me in my suffering. And in God's coming, I've come to know that the one who knows all cares." And Job went back to his home and to his wife and to his wife and in the end, in the end, his health and his fortune and new loved ones to love were restored to him. The book of Job's answer to the question, why do bad things happen to good people, really isn't an intellectual answer for us to comprehend. For the book of Job's answer to the question, why do bad things happen to good people, is that the one who alone can know and comprehend the answer to question is with us and cares and will make all things right in the end. It's something Christians, of course, can say by reading more than the truth of the story of a man named Job and the sufferings that he suffered, even though he didn't deserve it any more than anyone else did. For Christians can say the things we can say knowing the truth of a man named Jesus, who suffered unto death and even unto hell itself, though he didn't deserve it, period. And in his suffering and dying, he, not in a whirlwind, but in flesh and blood, makes known to us that in our suffering and dying, we are not alone. For he is with us, and he loves us, and in his resurrection from the dead, he makes known for all to know that the love he is alive with is for us for forever. In the movie, a few years back, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. There is a point where all kinds of things are going all kinds of wrong. At which point, one of the main characters in the movie says, Everything will be okay in the end. So if things aren't okay, it's not the end. In God's world, in our world, evil is real. Ugliness is real. Hate is real. Death is real. Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Really. Sisters and brothers, until love and life have their final say, know this. Jesus, who is both alive and love, is with you. Believe and believing, love one another, love others, love God's world, all the way home. Amen.